Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Last week, I started my conversation with Isabel about her abusive relationship with a man who was not only deceiving her and lying to her and viewing pornography, but also marital rape. If you didn't hear the first part of our interview together, please go to last week's episode, catch up there first, and then join us here today. If you haven't checked out our Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group session schedule, you can go to btr.org, click on services, and go to daily support group. You can get in to talk to a professional BTR coach and other women who are going through similar circumstances that you are today because our schedule has multiple sessions per day in multiple time zones. So please check that out. It's an amazing resource. We built it on purpose the way that we did so that women can talk with people who really understand it and can help them get to safety right away rather than talking to people who don't really understand emotional abuse or verbal abuse. Okay, so now we're going to continue the conversation we had last week with Isabel. So as you were getting divorced, you had mentioned that the marital rape issue became an issue with the law. Can you talk about that and how that made things worse for you in the divorce? Yes. So when I first decided that I was going to need an attorney, I first went talking to attorneys for a legal separation. Being Catholic, I thought I can't get a divorce, but kids and I need to get out of here. And of course... They said, oh no, you're being abused. Your children are being abused. You need a divorce if you're going to really be safe. And even Catholic attorneys were telling me that just you need a divorce. So I didn't tell anyone. Even when I hired my first attorney, the first questions I asked him was to get a divorce. Will I ever have to talk about things that went on between him and I is how I phrased it. Will I have to prove anything? And he said, oh, no, it's a no-fault state. Anybody can get a divorce. You don't like that he snores, you can get a divorce. <laughs> Not quite true. Because I told him, I said, no one will believe me. No one will believe me. They will believe him. So I went ahead and I filed for the divorce. And I even told my former husband when I told him that I had filed for the divorce, we can just work this out. Was he shocked when you told him? He said he was. <laughs> sure acted like he was, which I had already told him a few months before that I had seen an attorney about a legal separation. And of course, he just threatened me that if he ever heard the words separation, divorce, attorneys come out of my mouth again, he was taking everything we owned and leaving me and the kids. And no one could make him ever pay child support or anything. So you actually do it amid his threats. And my guess is he was kind of shocked. Well, that would be my guess. But. Yeah, I realized that I can be pretty certain that he probably never told me the truth about anything, that everything that even sounded like truth had some sort of distortion to it. And that I'd stay in that. That helps me to stop trying to figure out. That's a good plan. <laughs> Sorry if I'm encroaching on that plan. Because you could make yourself crazy trying to figure them out. So I've realized I just can't go in his head. So. What was funny was I told him that we don't have to talk about anything. <laughs> Nobody has to know the things that went on. And even at that point, I was still willing to work out shared parenting. And I was trying to be very, very cooperative and make it simple. We had to live together for a few weeks after I filed. He wouldn't move out. It got to the point where it was just scary. It was very, very scary. And he left the divorce papers in the envelope with a crucifix on them in the middle of the kitchen counter. And 
every time I would move them into his office, he'd put them back and say, if you didn't want to have to look at this, if you didn't want the kids to see it, you shouldn't have done it. Take it back. You can still put an end to this. He started following me around the house and trapping me in closets, unlocking the bathroom door and coming in when I was in the shower and not letting me out. It got to the point where I was packing up a bag for myself and my youngest and leaving the house really early in the morning and just trying to hide, moving around town, library, Starbucks, wherever I had to go to try and hide. So finally, after a night of him trapping me in a laundry room for hours and wow, not knowing there was a child in the room next to us, I said out loud that he could go from raging to crying and being the poor little victim, poor little boy in a second flat. He started the tears in the eyes saying, you know, our problem is really that you just don't want to admit the ways that you've hurt me. And if you could just admit that you haven't been the perfect wife and that you've hurt me, then maybe we could work on getting some change. And this is after about two hours <laughs> of being trapped. And I said that that was not true, that I had always admitted that I was not a good wife but that nothing that I had failed to do or done could equal the hurt of him raping me. And he looked at me and said, there you go, bringing that up again. When are you going to get over it? And we didn't know it, but our teenage daughter heard that part of the conversation. So the next day, um, my attorney was able to get him out of the house. He hadn't hired an attorney yet, and he was forced to hire an attorney. And the first thing he did was tell his attorney, that I was crazy and delusional and mentally ill and that I would start saying all of these things. And he told her all the things that I would say and that they were all lies and that everyone knew that he was a good Catholic man and husband and father. And if they listened to me, they would think he was a monster. They all knew that wasn't true, that I was the crazy one. And so then right from the beginning, that's how I was seen. And I had that to disprove. So not only did I have to prove what he had done, I don't care if anybody ever even knows. Now I had to prove it and I had to disprove that I was a delusional liar. In eight states in our country, marital rape is not a crime. You cannot charge your spouse with rape. There's spousal exemption laws. And you're living in one of these states at the time? Yes. So I had people within the court system who immediately when they heard that I thought he had raped me, that was evidence. Just my thinking that was evidence that I was a liar because I was told it's impossible. A husband can't rape his wife. You're lying. I was accused by my ecclesiastical leader of being abusive. And the proof he had was that I said my husband was abusive. A supportive and nurturing wife does not claim her husband is abusive. Yeah. So I get that. So here you are. What happened? What happened next? My attorney gets off the phone with his attorney, their first meeting, and calls me and says, we have to meet right now. You're going to have to tell me the story because he's already gone out there and said, you're going to say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> you have to tell me what happened. Now he's made it the issue. What I had said, nobody ever needed to know. He turned it into the whole issue. And so it took over three years, several attorneys, guardian ad litem, custody evaluator, further trauma my poor children, the system and their father, the people appointed within the court who were supposed to protect the children, further traumatized them. I know exactly what you meant when you said that, you know, you would wish that he would hit you. No one within the system wanted to believe that what he had done was 
abuse or physical abuse. And the courts really didn't seem to care at all about the emotional and psychological abuse. Not of me, not of my children. Didn't matter that in the course of the divorce, two children were hospitalized for suicidal ideation. The children's services was called several times during his parenting time. None of that mattered. It wasn't until near the very end going to trial and he actually, in front of three older children, bit my youngest child hard enough that there was still a bite mark when she got home to me. I was able to get her to the guardian ad litem so she could see the evidence. And then she had to stop saying that the children and I lied, that we were the liars. We still went to trial. I can see now, and even at the time, there were moments of almost despair, but there were also moments when I could see that God was at work and that his timing is perfect and he knows the whole story. He can see it all and we have tunnel vision. And in the end, it had to take that long and get to that point because now my children don't have to see him unless they want to, which where I am, the attorneys, everyone said that that is miraculous. My kids would love that. That's how they feel right now. Like we just wish we didn't have to go unless we wanted to, but they're forced to go and they don't like it. In the end, it all worked out beyond what anyone could imagine. The safety and the peace that we have now. Before I was living in an absolute nightmare, whether I was awake or asleep, it was just a nightmare. And now there's days when I walk around and I'm like, wait a minute, am I dreaming? Am I awake? It's like, is this real? (laughs) Do you feel like, I feel like sometimes, maybe this is just a terrible thing to say, but when I'm at church and the other women at church are talking about like the HOA, you know, and how like they charge them an extra $25 at the HOA or whatever, just stuff like that, that they're really concerned about, you know, and I'm smiling and I'm thinking, oh, you poor women who are so upset about the HOA. I wish you had gone through hell and then you'd be like, oh, who cares about the HOA? right? But I don't know if that's how you feel sometimes. Oh, I'm so blessed and life is so good that these little things aren't a big deal. I'm sure even with the safety that you feel, there's still things that are happening. Do you still live in the same city? Are you completely away from him now? No, no, not completely away in a different home now. So do you know of chronic pelvic floor dysfunction? Do I need to describe what that is a little bit Yeah, you should describe it. I don't really know. And then I'm sure some other listeners don't know, but I'm guessing it has something to do with being raped repeatedly, abused, and having nine kids. So for years, I had debilitating physical pain. Sometimes the pain was all over my entire body. And so I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, herniated discs, and all kinds of back diagnosis tested for lupus repeatedly and just thrown on lots and lots of meds to try this and try that. Nothing worked. Years and years of physical therapy. And it wasn't until he was forced to move out of the marital residence that all of a sudden PTSD symptoms popped up. And I guess that's because when you're actually still being abused, it's not considered PTSD. No, it's still trauma, constant trauma. I love it when women are living with their abuser. They say things like, I got triggered today and I need to know how to deal with the triggers. And I'm like, uh, no. I mean, you got triggered because you're still in abuse. Yeah, this was like flashbacks and PTSD nightmares. And that all started. The pain that I experienced was primarily like in my pelvic area, my hips, my back, and it would shoot down my legs. So basically I lived 
feeling as though I was being raped all the time, all the time. And so it began to trigger like memories of rapes that I didn't even have a conscious memory of. I would start to see them, feel them, relive them. So now the pain, I'm living in this chronic pain, it's triggering all these memories. And there were moments even driving the car when all of a sudden I find myself screaming, get off of me. It became a real problem in the divorce case because it was looking like I was crazy. <laughs> to people who didn't believe I had been traumatized, why did I have PTSD now? Why were my kids saying I was crying all the time and not able to sleep? And so it was very scary because they were using it to try and threaten to take the kids from me. Well, if you're not well, you know, you the kids shouldn't be living with you. And I ended up seeing a new physical therapist, a young woman who, after only treating me a few times for my back pain, asked me if she could ask me a personal question. And she asked me if I'd ever been sexually abused. And of course I like, why? Why would you even ask that? She said that the way that my body was responding, she said, first of all, she could feel fear. She could feel fear when she touched me. And she said those muscles in a woman clench and tighten like that because they're trying to protect. That's what they do is protect that part of your body. And she said, what you really need is an internal pelvic floor therapist. This isn't a back problem. It's your internal muscles. It's your pelvic floor muscles. It took a long time for me to get up the courage to go see someone. And I went through a couple of years, a couple doctors who specialized in chronic pelvic floor pain, an internal physical floor therapist, Botox injections where they put me to sleep and did 10 needles into my pelvic floor. Nothing, nothing working got to the point where pretty much they all said, look, until you're divorced and you go through years of EMDR and therapy and get over the PTSD, like we really can't do anything more for the pelvic pain. And one of them was ready to testify at my divorce trial and say, she'll never be able to work. She'll never be healed from this. And so the divorce gets done. It was actually just this past Valentine's day. One of the things that I had been using to try and cope with the pain and the flashbacks from the pain was my therapist had made me Catholic guided visualizations and muscle relaxation recordings. Like, you know, a progressive muscle relaxation takes you through each of the parts of your body and has you relax those muscles. And she added to it, having Jesus standing there, touching me and me feeling his warmth and healing power, relaxing my muscles and his tenderness. She would move into him touching my back and my abdomen and my pelvic floor muscles relaxing in the warmth of his healing. And on that day, on that night, lying there in my bed, I just started sobbing. And I said, Jesus, I'm so tired. I can't keep just imagining you touching me and healing me. I can't do this. <laughs> I'm so tired. Immediately, immediately, this warmth this warmth and this comforting, I don't, I don't know, I want to call it a heaviness, but not the heaviness I knew of the sadness and the suffocation. This was like being held so tightly and just warmth and peace. And I felt those muscles just give, like just relax. And they hadn't relaxed in 20 some years. And I actually fell asleep lying on my back and I slept through the night. <laughs> I slept through the night on my back, which never, never, ever would I have done that. And I woke up and I thought, 
oh, Jesus, you gave me a good night's sleep. Thank you. <laughs> like, I thought that was the miracle. <laughs> I had slept through the night without any nightmares. You gave me a good night's sleep. Thank you. And I got up and I started getting them ready for school. And when I bent down in the kitchen to pick something up and I just stood up, like I didn't have to hold onto the counter. Oh my gosh, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Where's my pain? Where's my pain? And it's never come back. It's never come back. After about a month of no pain, I went back to the internal pelvic floor therapist and asked her to please do an exam and feel those muscles and see, were they really healed? She had tears in her eyes and she said, I cannot explain it. She said, I would expect more dysfunction in your pelvic floor just for being the age that you are, having the number of kids you do and never exercising. <laughs> she said, and they're healed. She said, they are soft. She told me she used to feel like hard, dry clay, and it was so painful that she could never even reach all of them because I would just begin to have flashbacks and I have no pain. I have no pain. And when he healed the physical pain, it healed the PTSD. I no longer take any medications of any kind. There's no depression. There's no bipolar. It was all abuse. It was all the effects of abuse. That is an amazing story. I'm so grateful that you shared it. I've been thinking about miracles a lot lately, like big miracles, and this is one of them. And there are several things in my life I want to see a big miracle, right? And it's interesting to me that you weren't necessarily looking for a big miracle, right? You just were wanting to relax in that moment. I wrote down all of the big miracles that I would like to see, and I wrote them on a piece of paper, and I said a prayer. I said, God, I can't, you know, do the loaves and the fishes or bring Lazarus back to life or anything like that. I've tried those things, and I'm not spiritual enough or not capable or whatever, and I wrote them down, and I prayed, and I said, these are the things I would like to see, but I'm going to leave it up to you, and I put it in a drawer, and I've just left it there. But hearing your story gives me hope, not necessarily for the miracles that I want, but to surrender my will and my life to God and let him bring to pass the miracles that he sees fit. And I'm so grateful hearing your story that that's the miracle that he bestowed on you. In addition to all the tiny miracles that both of us probably see every day and maybe don't recognize. You know, that's when you were talking about, you hear other women and the things that they're worried about and complaining about. I don't worry anymore. Like that to me is a miracle too. I have seen what God can do, what he saved us from. Little miracle, big miracle. What do I have to worry about? What will he not take care of when I trust in him? Now I see miracles all the time. Everything. I think about how it really is true that when you have seen the deepest, blackest darknesses, then it's like the light is so beautiful and brilliant. Sometimes I just say to him, God, when are the miracles going to stop? You don't have to give me anymore. You're overwhelming me. But I think it's because we've seen the darkness that now what other people miss sometimes, I don't miss it anymore because I know what it's like on the other side. Yeah. And I'm grateful to talk to you today because I think I've been, I don't know if angry is the right word, probably resentful frustrated that there's these prayers I've been praying that would take a huge miracle, right? I mean, like he's answering the little prayers 
like just over this week, we got to this camp spot and it didn't work out. And I told my kids, pray that we'll find a better camp spot. And we drove up and there was a great camp spot. And I had everybody pray and be grateful. And so I'm like, okay, he's answering all these little prayers. And these big ones aren't happening. Do you know what, though? Do you think you could look and see if maybe the big ones are, but they're not happening in one big shocking moment? Yeah, it might be. And that's what prompted me to write them down. Because I recognized that part of my problem is that I have so much faith that when I pray and I know God can do things and he doesn't do. And I also know they're good. It's not like I'm praying for like... Just to win the lottery for the, just so you can go buy some new clothes and cars. Yeah, although that would be great. <laughs> but yeah, I know these would be good things and they don't happen. I get kind of like, why? Like, you're God, you can do anything. It feels like he's like purposefully withholding it or something. I recognize all the little ones. And so that's why I decided, okay, I'm just going to write these down. These are the things I'm frustrated about. And I'm going to put them in a box and I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to give it to him. And ever since then, I've been just praying that my desires and my will would be in line with his so that I can see the miracles that he wants to give me, the ones that he decides this is the right thing for you. And I can recognize that and live in gratitude rather than just being like frustrated all the time. Like, why isn't this happening? Yeah, I think that's huge. I would pray when I was in all that pain, especially in the divorce, because I knew they could use it to take the kids from me. On top of the pain and the flashbacks, it was like, it was scary. It was so scary. And I would pray and I said, why? I know you can do miracles. If you can heal me with one word, why are you not healing this? Part of it was that his timing, like he knew the right timing for it. My pelvic floor therapist, you know, she said, I always knew God would heal you, but I thought it would take a lot of time and we'd have to work really hard at it. The other thing I think is fascinating, if you don't mind me like really getting into this, is that he can heal you instantly and he did, right? Why not during the divorce proceedings where you're in so much pain, logically speaking, with our mortal minds, have been a really good time? To heal you because then you may have been more confident or stronger or less emotional. So this is what I learned because I learned to trust in him. I learned that he knows better than I do. I learned that even in the horrible pain I was in and the emotional pain with Jesus with me, within me, I can do all things. People have said, you were unstoppable. You were absolutely, how did you do it? It was not humanly possible. And so now I can witness to people that with Jesus, if you rely on Jesus, you can, you can do all things through him. You can. And I did it. And it's hard for me to say, like, I asked the probably the first time I have actually said I did it out loud because it's hard for me to take any credit for it, but I could not have done it alone. You're not glorying in yourself. You're glorying in Jesus, right? And, and in God. And that's the thing is people hear my story and the people I know who walked my story with me are like, there's no way it's not humanly possible. God was with you because no one could do that alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm proud and honored to be able to hear your story, especially at a time like this in my particular life where I'm hoping and praying for miracles that I'm not necessarily seeing yet or maybe ever. But to know that 
they do happen and the angels are with us and that God loves us. And I want all of our listeners who are praying for miracles to know that even though your miracle might not, you might not recognize it right now or you might not see it, but that it will happen or something like it. I prayed for a miracle in 2015 and then a few months later, my ex was actually arrested, which is not what I thought the miracle would look like, but that's what it looked like for me. Yeah. Yeah. That maybe because our human sight is short-sighted. And so when we think that our prayer only has one way that it could possibly be answered, God's up there saying, oh no, you know what? I can see a hundred possibilities for answering that prayer. And so he does it in a way that is not what we thought, but like just always coming back to the fact that he is love. He is love. There's nothing but love. And after having been abused by a narcissist, that just, it's incomprehensible sometimes, most of the time, to see how God loves. It's so different. And so just trusting in that love, that he only wants what's good for us. Isabel, I appreciate your faith and your testimony today and your willingness to come share such a vulnerable story. I know so many other women are going through similar things. And I hope that through listening to this podcast, they come away with a couple things. Number one, that God absolutely loves them and that they have not been abandoned. And that if they hold on to God's love and know that they don't deserve to be abused and harmed, even if it's just psychologically, even if it's just, I put just in air quotes, emotional abuse, even if it's just that their husband is viewing pornography, which is a gateway to harm and abuse, that they can make their way to safety because they deserve to be absolutely adored and loved like God loves them. And I hope that women can take that with them today, knowing that through your story, that they can know that God loves them too, just as much as he loves you and continues to love you. And he made us, we were created by love for love. And we are loved, not for abuse. We're not created for abuse. Yeah. And abuse is Satan, right? It's Satan's tool. And women who have been in our situation, I feel like we've looked in the eyes of evil. We've seen evil. We know we've had it in our home. And it's like a nightmare. It's a never-ending nightmare. So thank you. I would love to check in with you again in a few months. I'm sure listeners would love to hear how you're doing. So stay tuned. Maybe in six months or so, we'll have Isabel on the podcast again to talk about where she is now and how she's doing. So thank you so much for your time, Isabel. Thank you. Thank you. The reason I want to talk about and educate women about verbal abuse or emotional abuse is because if they know about the porn use or if they know about the infidelity, usually women focus on that, which is a good thing to focus on, but they also don't realize the ways in which they're being psychologically or emotionally abused. And so if they're educated about it, then they can make good decisions about it. They can say, oh, I'm not being abused in this manner. Or they could say, whoa, I didn't realize it. And I think as women learn more about psychological, verbal, emotional, spiritual abuse, they're able to better assess the safety of their situation. And so for women who are afraid of the word abuse or they're thinking, oh, I don't want to go down this road because I don't want to get divorced. If you put your safety first and if you think I am going to learn about what it means to be safe 
then you will make your way to a better place, whatever that is. Some of you in your study of emotional abuse might realize that your husband is not emotionally abusive in these ways. And that can put your mind at ease and comfort your heart. Learning about it is not the problem. The abuse in and of itself is the problem. And so I always want you to remember that. I'm currently reading the book Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans. And I want everybody after this episode to go to the the library and put it on hold. It really opened my eyes. I'm going to add it to our books page, btr.org backslash books. If you click on it from our page, it'll take you directly to Amazon where you can buy it. It is super eye-opening and I think it will help everyone really understand the verbal abuse that women experience in this scenario. We know that pornography use adds to this dynamic of a woman being an object or a man feeling entitled to power over her. I've recently started doing new YouTube videos, so please go check that out. Our YouTube channel is Betrayal Trauma Recovery, and that's a fun place to see our weekly update. It's a little recap of the podcast episode, and then we take your questions and comments, and then a BTR coach responds to those questions or comments. So again, that's on YouTube at Betrayal Trauma Recovery. You can also follow us on Instagram at Betrayal Trauma Recovery on Facebook look for Betrayal Trauma Recovery, and on Twitter, at Betrayal Trauma. So we'd love to interact with you on our social media platforms. It really means a lot to me when you guys comment on these podcast articles and I get to see your responses and see what you think. I also really appreciate all of you who have rated the podcast. I love seeing your reviews and what you think and um, how you're feeling about it. I I really appreciate that. And it means a lot to me when I receive those reviews and those comments. So for those of you who have rated the podcast and given it a review, thank you. I really appreciate that. And until next week, stay safe out there.